This is Praxi Fuentes. I'm going to read a story called Shoeshine Boy in a White Man's Barbershop. After I was fired from the old Seville Spanish food restaurant late in 1945, my streak of prosperity had ended, and naturally I was suffering the pangs of being broke. My older brother, Benny, who could read me like a book, noticed that my moping and most of all saw that I had become sad. Before long, I started really feeling sorry for myself because I didn't have a dad to provide me with an allowance, and I thought if my dad had lived, I would have been brought up differently. Not having a dad was truly pitiful, and it got reinforced by those who saw me with pity, for I had become Kiko, El hijo del difunto Benito Cifuentes. My brother wanted to know why I looked to be at the point of tears. He was mostly concerned over the truth that I had been spending every day, half of the night away from home. And he knew that it wouldn't be long before I'd end up in reform school, for I had already started hanging out with Chuy Romero and Lefty Polanco who belonged to Los Prietos de la Calle Ancha. Ben was so good at adding pressure that, combined with self-pity, that really made me start crying. What's wrong, Ben said. Ben wanted to know. I told him that I wouldn't have been having problems if my dad was still alive. And Ben said, well, if you know that, then you know enough to start doing useful and rewarding things. He thought that it would be a great idea to join the Boy Scouts, which had helped him a lot since he had joined at my age, and it was now well on his way towards becoming an Eagle Scout. Joining the Boy Scouts had never occurred to me. At least it never it didn't seem possible that it would be better than having a steady income from work. Besides, where was it going to buy? Uh, where was it going to get money to buy uh, uniforms? Nevertheless, I took his advice and headed for uh, a scout meeting that evening. The meeting place was at uh, east of the University of Texas, and just about the time I was getting there, it had already gotten dark. I was passing a block of shopping center that had a Rexall drugstore and a laundry and a barbershop, which I had passed by, first of all. And I noticed uh, towards the back of the shop, that there was a shoeshine stand, that no one had been working on it. And it reminded me of the old days when thousands of soldiers being trained on for the war would come to on Saturdays and Sundays, and many of them often decided to get their shoeshine out of nostalgia or just as an event. But there were not many better things to do in quiet, conservative Austin. On Saturday, going up and down Congress Avenue, I would pass by two barbershops and always wondered why only black men become shoeshine boys. The barbershop were always filled with customers, and most of them also got to shoeshined. And most obvious to me was that the men who shined the shoes were making plenty of money with tips and the cost of a shoeshine. And they always made sure that the man that was getting up after a haircut got the whisk broom job, which made sure that 
the hair didn't remain on the clothes. Therefore, I hardly ever saw any of them idle, because when there was no one in the shoeshine stand, uh, the men would leave their shoes, and then they'd come back and pick them up. So it really made me wish I had one of those jobs. And suddenly the prospect of my wishing became true, or was becoming true. It didn't take long for me to decide. I stood in the dark looking for the house where, or the small hill where the Boy Scout recruitment meeting was taking place. Compared to the job in the barbershop shining shoe stand with business guaranteed, the prospect of being a Boy Scout went out the window. So I passed the drugstore, and then I saw the soda fountain and chairs filled with customers and milkshakes, banana splits, oozing with chocolate and strawberry syrup, the ultimate treat of youngsters of my generation. It was amazing how bold I had become, motivated by the prospect of being able to afford a dream banana split as soon as I could spare the coins. So after the barber finished with the customer he had, and he was about to snap the sheet he used to take away all the hair off of it, I entered and told him, Sir, I've been passing by here. I noticed that you don't have anyone working on the shoeshine stand. Well, yes, yes, Ed. Well, I'm an experienced shoeshine boy, and I told him about it. and explained that I had shined shoes when the soldiers came into town during the Warriors. And for some reason, it made him smile. Maybe it was a prospect of having a Mexican rather than Negro. It had a little irony to it. So, are you sure you can handle the job, he says. Yes, sir. I will really do my best. He then said that he'd give me a try and explained that I had to bring supplies, that nice, dress nice, and be very clean. At that point, I could have assured him of anything. He told me how busy it was uh, going to be the next day, which was the Saturday. So, and he told me they opened at 10 a.m. So I practically read home to tell my family the good news. Ben immediately asked if I had attended a Boy Scout meeting. I told him that I had and that I didn't see how I was going to like it. Besides, it was not the best since I had landed a real job. He absolutely could not understand why I wanted to be a shoeshine boy rather than a Boy Scout. And the whole thing became further proof that I was heading in the wrong direction. I began looking for my old shoeshine box to see what supplies I had left and found it with a bunch of filthy rags and not enough shine to even take it on the streets again. The discovery threw me into a depression and I was right back in the state of self-pity. I told Ben how my future career as a shoeshine boy in a barbershop depended on having enough supplies. He agreed that uh, it was in jeopardy and gave me a comprehensive list of all the supplies I needed, including a couple of things I had never heard of, and then offered to write it down, asking me that when, where in the world was I going to get money for this? And in my despair, I turned into a uncontrollable cheer-making machine again. You might as well stop crying. Nobody in this house has money enough to help you. You should have gone to the Boy Scout meeting, my brother told me. If I had been smart and knew that I needed to start my job, I would have gone to the stupid meeting and begged them to help me get started in my business. Mama came into the room and 
saw that I had been crying. ¿Qué pasó, Kiko? ¿Por qué estás llorando? Why are you crying, Kiko? And I explained that the job offer I had about, and that I needed shoeshine supplies. Benny handed her the list he made and told her uh, the approximate cost. ¿Por qué vas a necesitar tantas cosas para chañar zapatos, mamá? Why do you need all these things? I explained that it was going to be in a barber shop and there was a real good chance that you would make more money than shiny shoes during the war had. Anyway, mamá took the list and left without saying anything, a clear sign that she had decided to solve my problem. Turned out that my sister Carmen who had been working uh, for a long time now at the Rexall drugstores across the street from uh, Austin High School, got paid on Fridays. And Carmen, saw, uh, Carmen always gave money to Mama. So it turned out, after Carmen found out about my dilemma, she and I went to the Yates drugstore, and I got all excited about the prospects of future earning power. Carmen explained that after all, I just needed enough of the main things to get started. She also told me to stop being such a crybaby, stop getting Mama all worried. At this point, I would have agreed wholeheartedly with any or all her advice. I arrived shortly after 10 a.m. and saw that there was almost a full house in the bar shop and went straight to the shoeshine stand to set up and start working. I had saddle soap, brown, black, and tan kiwi polish, and liquid rags and brushes, plus a toothbrush for dressing around the edges of the sole and heel. And much to my surprise, I opened a big door in front of the stand, and I saw a lot of other things that had been left behind, like really nice brushes and shoe dye. Shine, 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 sir, I asked everybody present. Nothing but nose. And I continued asking everyone as they came in, still nose. However, a man came in with three pairs of shoes and left them for me to shine, and I was in business. I worked so hard to make the shoes really look good and relishing the thought that at least I'd make 50 cents or maybe more. So when I lined up the three pairs of shoes and began to wish the man would come back right soon, I noticed that Mr. Huffleberg stopped working on his customer and went to the back. I thought he was going to go to the bathroom, but he really surprised me. He bringing out a push broom in a dustpan pan to hand to me and told me that he had forgotten to tell me that one of my duties would be sweeping the hair off the floor. <clears throat> I had been amazed at how much hair ended up on the floor. So I did it right away, and after Mr. Huffleberg had finished with his customer, he went back and quickly brought out a regular kitchen broom and a dustpan. Here, he said, with this, you sweep the hair that you left behind. So he was able to see that I was not that familiar with the sweeping floors. So he grabbed the broom and started to show me how you had to work especially around the corners and edges. And when he handed the broom back, he didn't have to say. He had no intentions of showing me how to sweep again. 
Later, when there was no customers, he said that the men are waiting for a haircut. They sometimes want the shoe shine when it's best to wait while they're in the chair. That he would be the one to ask them if they wanted to shine. I never even tried to figure out why, but it worked real well for my business. Apparently, they would say no to me, but yes to him and the way that he would order me to do it. Shortly after we finished, Mr. Hubbard gave me a whisk broom and showed me how to use it after the customers were finished getting the haircut, even though he had made sure that they would not have much to brush off. It was more or less for show. Nevertheless, I was beginning to see that it, this was a real job. When things slowed down a lot, especially during the week, I would leave the shop often to go to the drugstore, even if I was pretty broke, because I could always read the funny books as long as I made sure that my hands were clean and that I wouldn't wrinkle them. However, when I had my pocket jingling with silicones that I would order strawberry milkshakes or a double cream cone or cherry coke, Mr. Hummelberg was tall and imposing figure. He, he had an air of self-assurance, which was best revealed by the way he proceeded to give his customers a shave. He was like a master using the black belt, sharpness razor, as if he had absolute certainty that he was perfectly safe from an accident. He looked bored and yet performed as if he was putting all his heart and soul into his art. He did it. He did not hurry in, in the interest of those waiting to make him rich. He gave a kind of a shave that kept five o'clock shadow from reappearing all too soon by running his fingers through the entire face and catching spots that were ready to bloom. Customers, for the most part, were really comfortable in talking to him and him taking advantage of having to look at him and but when he knew that they were looking at him, he was he was as pleasant as he could be with genuine short lived smile. Didn't uh, smile at me because he did not ha he really did not like me. He made it point not to engage in conversations when we were the only two in the place. He just read the paper and or just sit in the barber shop and think. After two weeks, the list of dislikes of his dislikes grew, and leaving the shop to go to the corner store was one of them, as if he did not like that I gave him evidence that nothing in the world was going to make a good businessman out of me. He constantly reminded me that I had to sweep, but just staring my way and catching my attention, he'd look down on the floor, and even when there was not much there. One day when I was returning from the corner drugstore, I noticed that in the front counter of a laundry there was a tall black man bending down, talking to the owner, a short, wavy, brown-haired Anglo. And suddenly, the man reached behind the back of the counter and grabbed a steel pipe about 12 inches long. He came around and started hitting the, the black man with it, and then proceeded to shove him out the sidewalk and began hollering at him, cursing him, because he had dared to come into the front door. They told him the next time he'd better go 
the back if he wanted to talk to his wife. I was able to stand no more than 10 feet away from him, and I saw him hitting the black man squarely on the top of the head. And I was able to hear the thumping sound and saw blood rushing out. It was incomprehensible that he did not, that the black man did not fight back and defend himself. He was, however, able to break away and headed for the hospital, not too far away. The laundry owner was surprised that I had stood by to watch him all. And then when he saw that I was watching and I hadn't run, he gave me a dirty look with the iron bar still in his hand as if to say, you want some of this too? Which is all that it took for me to get back to the barbershop. I was sure that Mr. Humberberg had seen the incident, but he acted like nothing had happened. After that, I remember very little about my failed career as a shoeshine boy in a white man's barbershop. It wasn't until later that I studied history and the history of the black people and slavery and civil rights movement that I understood why the man would not defend himself. Because if he had, he would have been in trouble and he would have been charged with assault.